Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hey, good morning. This is Carmen LaBerge, and it is Mornings with Carmen, hour two on Friday, the 8th of January, 2021. We, we've arrived. We made it. It's Friday. It's the end of the week. Whew, what a week it has been. Where in the word have you been this week? Did you start the year with a Bible reading plan, and uh, are you, you know, on day eight, still in it? Where in the Word are you today? Let us absolutely be people who are in the Word of God before we are overly concerned with the things of the world, even though we are absolutely concerned with the things of the world. So, listener Jane, in the first hour, uh, answered the question before I asked it. She offers up Luke 24, verses 44 to 48, so here is uh, here is where Jane is in the Word today. Where are you in the Word today? This is from Luke 24. Jesus is speaking here. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I want you to recognize for a moment that because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes after this, obviously, in uh, in the timeline of the unfolding events of the life death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, after which the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, at Pentecost. But because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and because of the access given us, granted us, gained us by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, this opening of the minds to understand the Scriptures is available beyond this very discreet group of people um, with whom he is talking in Luke chapter 24. This is available to you and to me. The opening of the mind in order to understand the Scriptures is something that's available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also something that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. A, a mind that, has, that is not influenced by the Holy Spirit is literally unable to apprehend what the Scriptures mean. You can read the words printed on a page, but in terms of apprehending what is meant by God in those words, it, it remains a mystery uh, to those who, uh, who are not literally possessed of the Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you today uh, to be in the Word of God, and let me encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart and mind in order that you might not only comprehend, but apprehend, take into yourself, appropriate in your own life, 
the Word of God. Next up, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. I would view this as lightening up the conversation a little bit. We are going to do some movie reviews and uh, other things going on in the world of media. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So we have Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In back with us. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you too, Carmen. Great to talk with you. Well, it's so good to have you. You are the lighten up portion of today's programming. And so... uh, I will do what I can. (laughs) So maybe we should start with Crudes too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the Crudes and New Age came out, um, I don't know, I think mid-November and uh, it was one of the few movies we're seeing these days that had a traditional theatrical release, and now it's out on video. And this is obviously the story of a prehistoric family uh, doing prehistoric family things. And in this one, they are looking for a new home, and they come across an almost Edenic kind of paradise. Unfortunately, there's another more highly fa- highly evolved family that already lives there called The Bettermans. And so this is a movie that really is about, <laughs> I know, right? Even even, Prius, even Cro-Magnon Man had problems. So um, this is a movie about envy. It's about uh, wanting what your neighbor has. It's about learning to get along with people who are different from you. Uh, and I think it, it sort of accidentally or providentially uh, has some things to say about our current cultural situation. Um, there's some toilet humor here, as is always the case with with movies like this, but pretty good movie, and I think uh, might even be better than the first one. So I think if you saw and liked the first one, uh, you're liable to have a good time with this one, too. Um, I don't know. How does it rate in comparison to, like, The Flintstones? Because that's kind of my Cro-Magnon Man uh, right? standard. Well, you know, it's hard to compare them because... I think really since at least Toy Story and maybe Shrek and those sorts of movies, our entire standard of what animated storytelling looks Mm. like is so different than it was. It's so much more self-aware and there are winks and nods to adults and and to parents Mm -hmm. that absolutely weren't there when the Flintstones were around. Things were much simpler back in the day. So I don't know, you know, it's two different kinds of animation. All right. Now, you do have me wondering if the Bettermans of, of Croods 2 are kind of like the modern-day Joneses, you know, yeah. keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, I do yeah. think there's a little of that there. Okay, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about – I have seen no, nobody say anything positive about Wonder Woman 84. So yeah. um, do you have anything positive to say? I don't have much positive to say. I, it was a <laughs> colossal disappointment for me. Um, and colossal disappointment – on almost every level, um, mm. okay, maybe colossal disappointment is too strong after 2020. Uh, it did not live up to expectations. Uh, it, the story, in a nutshell, um, Diana Prince is now working at the Smithsonian in 1984. Uh, she has a coworker, a mousy coworker played by Kristen Wiig, who comes into contact with 
what eventually comes to be called the Dreamstone, which grants wishes and uh, a nasty uh, industrial tycoon gets a hold of it and wreaks havoc and basically destroys the world and blah, blah, blah. And Wonder Woman has to put the genie back in the bottle. I didn't like it because the story for the first hour is all over the map. Uh, and it's and there's some really, really weird things that happen in this movie. I'm not going to spoil them other than to say that her love interest from the first movie, Steve Trevor, is back. And he died at the end of the first movie. Uh, so the way that he gets back is is really weird and it, it didn't work for me at all. So it, uh, it did not work just so that, you know, it did not work for my junkie, uh, 17 year old who, um, who has real concerns about wonder woman and the potential of a relationship with another character. And now that, yeah. uh, hope is, um, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. You were not, you were not alone in your disappointment. Um, okay. We, uh, we got to take a, a brief break, but, um, I have people reminding me on the text line that they are kind of excited about the second season of the chosen. And so yeah. just in terms of something that people are looking forward to, I just want to remind folks that, um, there are reviews of the chosen, the whole series, uh, at pluggedin.com. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to check that out. It has become one of our family's um, sort of favorite things to not only watch, but participate in the support of the production of through crowdfunding. So yep. The Chosen, uh, it's a very, very positive thing for you to check out. All right. Um, Adam Holtz and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I don't know, we'll pick up somewhere. We'll be right back. All right, picking up where we left off with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Tons of content at PluggedIn.com for you to check out. One of my new favorite features is the reviews of YouTube channels um, because I don't want to go and watch it for myself. So uh, thankful, thankful to Adam that he goes and does what I don't want to do uh, and informs me about things I need to know about. So um, on the topic, Adam, of screen usage and screen yeah. time, man, there is some uh, there there is some research coming out about how much time people are spending, particularly under the pandemic, on their screens. Screens that is uh, is troubling. Yeah, it's crazy, actually. So uh, there was a one poll survey. That's one word. One poll of two thousand adults, uh, commissioned by an organization called Vision Direct, and the upshot was. They asked, how much time do you spend on digital devices during the day? And what they found was that Americans are spending, wait for this, this is absolutely mind-blowing, 17 hours and nine minutes a day looking at digital devices. You know, Carmen, we used to talk about screen time limits. <laughs> it feels like, you know, talking about Little House on the Prairie now, you know, the the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends two hours of screen time a day for young children. But I feel like we've gone through a paradigm shift where we're now almost to the point where if some of us got two hours a day not on screens, that would be growth. I mean, that's that's where we're at is that our screens – and for lots of reasons, not just because we want to be distracted, but we're on them for work. And I'm sure that number is, is mixed in here. But, but even so, um, screens have become our portal to everything. And I think that the danger here is is mistaking them for providing the life that really only God offers. So it's not that screens are inherently bad, but 
man, they will eat up as much time as we are willing to give them. So uh, we we have had this conversation. Um, you know, we got kids who are doing school virtually for a couple of weeks um, during spiking COVID numbers in our state. And so, you know, you're required to be on starting at 8 a.m. And you right. really you really can't leave until 245. Um, yep. That's almost seven hours of screen time. I mean, you sit there and eat your lunch right on on video with other people like it's um and that's their that's their social interaction time um right. you know during the day and then though they've i don't know about everybody else's kids but there's also like a chat going on on the side of the screen um right. during during class um they've got their phone sitting next to them scrolling their other socials um yep so they're not really you know focused uh, uh like they would be if they were in a classroom and their electronic devices were disallowed which is the rule in most schools um, right. Then they're gaming with their friends and right. they're, you know, and they're engaged in social um, as well. So um, it's it's really crazy what's happening to the brains of young people. Talk about gaming, because I think that's the segue I'd like to make. I know that Christmas uh-huh. at our house definitely, you know, included the desire um, to have access to some additional um, games. And, um, you know, and that means more video. Right. Uh, you know, there's so many ways we could go with this. I want to say uh, just at the outset, there was another study out this week that uh, is pretty remarkable in that it says the video gaming industry, and people may not realize this, uh, grew 20% in 2020, which, okay, 20%, that's sort of an abstract number. But here, this makes it more concrete. Uh, it was a $180 billion industry in 2020, which for the sake of of context and comparison – is bigger than the movie, the global film industry, and all North American sports combined. So video games are huge. And, you know, when you and I were growing up back in the Stone Age, uh, maybe we went to the arcade and we played Space Invaders or Asteroids or something like that. Um, Video games today are an immersive cinematic experience where there is a storyline there are cutscenes. There are graphics. One of the biggest new games in the last couple of weeks is a game called Cyberpunk 2077, and it has every kind of explicit material. It's awful. You would like you let's, would ever let's, see. Let's highlight to our listeners: uh, it is awful. Like we're it not. Is awful. It is awful. Yeah, it is awful, and uh, and it's awful in ways that if you think video games are for kids. You know, think the worst R-rated movie you have ever seen content-wise, and that would be a good starting point to try to figure out what's up with Cyberpunk 2077. And so as parents, it's a multi-pronged challenge. The first one is just being aware of what's out there. An M rating is the equivalent of an R rating, and many parents may not know that. They have content similar in terms of language, drug use, sexuality, sexual situations, nudity, that you would see in an R-rated movie, um, and it's participatory. You know, your character is virtually participating in these things. So there's there's that, and then I think you know you you alluded to the social aspect of it. I think one of the hard things right now is video games are also, uh, at least for my 14 year old son, um, it's one of the ways that he connects with his friends. And so we're doing this dance of trying to have time limitations uh, and being aware of what he's playing, but also recognizing the fact that right now where there's no contact, 
this is one of the ways that kids are playing together. And so there's a lot of complexity. And I think as parents, we have to enter in with that sort of, of, of a complex understanding of how these games work, what's there, what the dangers are, and balancing setting reasonable and healthy limits, and yet understanding that, uh, especially for boys, this is, this is a connection point. Um, and then, you know, encouraging them to connect in other ways as much as we can as well. So it's a crazy, crazy time we're living in, but uh, the genie's not going back in the bottle here. So as parents, we have to be engaged with these issues. 100%. And it's hard to be engaged because, frankly, my level of interest in uh, in what's happening in those games or in those shows or in those online conversations is limited to sure. um, when I know they're doing what. Like, I, right. you know, I, that's it's really challenging. Yeah. No, that's right. And, and I think even just being present, you know, mm-hmm. saying, hey, what are you doing? Oh, no, playing? I'm clearly an over-the-shoulder deterrent. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I am I am the guilty conscience walking around in the kitchen. Yeah, there's no question but, about but that. Being present also in expressing interest in our teens and in our tweens' worlds because yeah. I think if they see us as I'm just the enforcer, oh, I know what, that is a role that we have to play. But it also can contribute to hidden and secretive behavior, and we don't want that either. So totally, uh, engagement is the byword here, the watchword. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> I take that. I take that as good counsel. All right. Uh, one more headline here. Um, what do I need to know about um, pirating? It's a thing. Pirating. It's still a thing. So uh, we have an article. Okay. On our so blog my head is week. now singing. We are the pirates who don't do anything. <laughs> I'm telling you, Veggie Tales like dominates the soundtrack in my head. There's something wrong there. Okay. Go ahead. Pirating. Yeah, different like kind. You, you could probably get counseling if if it gets too bad. So we have an article on our blog this week called Mama Don't Let Your Teens Grow Up to Be Pirates, which of course <laughs> listeners of a certain age will recognize the song reference there. Um, there is an organization called or a, a, it's called Torrent Freak. Uh, torrent as in stream of water. Uh, freak as in weird person. <laughs> uh, and they keep track of what's being pirated online. And the Mandalorian has usurped the Game of Thrones as the most pirated show on TV. That's an abstraction. Here's the thing. Teens are among those who are doing the pirating. They often don't have any kind of a moral compass that stealing somebody's intellectual property is actually a bad thing. But it costs, you know, the entertainment industry, although how many tears we shed for the entertainment industry, I guess that's a separate conversation. But still, it costs them billions of dollars each year. Uh, and so as we help our kids develop their moral compass for how they're interacting with content online, pirating is still a thing. And they know probably way more about it than we do. Uh, we have a quote in this article from uh, a teen in Australia who said, almost daily, I talk text, watch movies, and download everything I can for free. So there is an entitlement mentality there that they shouldn't have to pay for anything. And and that's a, a mindset that I think we need to help them really evaluate as parents as well. All right. That is Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find uh, what we talked about today and a lot of other great content at Plugged In. 
Com. Be sure you read um, the blog post, Mama, Don't Let Your Teens Grow Up to Be Pirates. It's excellent. Also, um, some really good stuff there on what is streaming in January um, for families. Uh, so thanks. Thanks, Adam, as always, for, uh, for what you do and how you do it. You bet, Carmen. We'll talk to you next week. Great. We'll be right back. So every day at some point during the day, you likely hear the voice of Ron Hutchcraft and others from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. We have featured on Eagle's Wings, their Native American youth outreach here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, Ron has written a book uh, and uh, I mean, he's written several, but his most recent book is Finding God's Presence in Your Pain, Hope When Your Heart is Breaking. He deals in here um, maybe as the as the underlying grief and pain in his own life, uh, the loss of his beloved wife, Karen. And so Ron Hutchcraft joins me next to talk about those things that are hope robbers in our life and also to talk about um, the the hope that is ultimately stronger, um, ultimately greater, ultimately more profound um, than than any despair. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. God, your rescuer, has the right vision. He also has the right direction. He made the boldest claim in the history of humanity when he declared, I am the way. John 14 and verse 6. People wondered if the claim was accurate. He answered their questions by cutting a path through the underbrush of sin and death and escaping alive. He's the only one who ever did, and he is the only one who can help you and me do the same. He has the right vision. He has seen the homeland. He has the right directions. He has cut the path. But most of all, he is the right person because he is our God who knows the jungle better than the one who made it. And who knows the pitfalls of the path better than the one who has walked it? This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Ron Hutchcraft. You know him from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. He has been with us on prior occasions. Uh, we are thrilled to have him join us today to discuss his newest book, Finding God's Presence in Your Pain, Hope When Your Heart is Breaking. Ron, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's great to be back with you. You're you're one of my favorite morning hosts. That's you're, well, you're good. That's what that's what I hear. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know, uh, thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, I um I in particular um am a big fan of what you're doing. Uh, through your on Eagles Wings uh, ministry with Native American youth, um, and just uh, just I couldn't appreciate that more. Also, want to um, share with folks you can you can actually chat with Ron if you go to chataboutjesus dot com. Um, you can chat with Ron Hutchcraft, so that's pretty cool as well. So chataboutjesus dot com. Um, Ron, I wanna um, I wanna open this conversation about the book with. Um, with what I suspect in your own life was the provocation 
for it, and that is a conversation about Karen. So yeah. um, how about introduce the listening audience to Karen, um, whom they don't know, but whom you know so well? <laughs> I'd love to. Well, um I, you know, I'd have to say that uh, in a way, this no, I, I had no idea a book would come out of it. But I guess the book was born on the worst day of my life and the best day of Karen's life. Best day of Karen's life was May sixteenth, two thousand sixteen, because she got to see Jesus and she got to see heaven. And the worst day of mine because I lost the love of my life since I was nineteen. I just looked at my journal that I've been keeping a, a, a grief journal really since then. And um, there are occasional entries in it now, but uh, one of the things I wrote a couple of years ago, I said that um, some things she, I said, she made us laugh, she made us wiser, she made us uh, safe, and she made us uh, better. She made us better. And that's true. She, Dynamite Force, whatever, I got hundreds of, of cards and letters that said, she made me feel, and the, it was things like special, important like I could go on living, like I mattered, loved, safe. Now, let me take you back to May 15th, because that was the day of the graduation of our first grandchild. Our grandson Jordan was valedictorian of his class, and he was gave a wonderful Christ-honoring speech to a stadium full of people. It was awesome. Karen and I got to enjoy that together. I had to be driven through the night to get to a place to speak the next day. So sitting there in the bleachers, I said, I love you, honey. And she said, well, I love you. And then she had tears in her eyes, and we've said a lot of goodbyes, so I, I, was, I said, honey, what's going on? And she said, I'm really going to miss you. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, don't worry about it. It won't be long. I was very wrong, because the next afternoon I got a call from my son, and she was suddenly gone to heaven. And I was suddenly, what had always been Ron and Karen, Ron and Karen, Ron and Karen, since we were 19, the only person I ever shared my whole life history with, you know? I mean, we laughed about the same things, knew the same people, same experiences, same praying, same crying, everything. No one could replace her. And all of a sudden, Ron and Karen was Ron, and I was so glad she was in heaven. But I also realized that I wasn't, and her children weren't, and her grandchildren weren't. And we were left without this life force that Karen was. And at that moment, I felt like a lost little boy. I had no map for this. I knew how to do life with Karen. I didn't know how to do life without her. She had been, I guess you'd say, a compass for me, a mirror for me, um, my best friend, an encourager, the as I said, the love of my life. And so that's what began a journey for me that in a way has been defined by what I wrote in that grief journal I started a few days later in big bold letters. And it says, I will not waste this grief. Carmen, I could not have thought that thought. I wasn't coherent enough to do that. All I know is that God planted what I now call defiant hope, I guess, in my heart that said, I will not waste this grief. And my prayer was, Lord, if it's going to hurt this bad, please don't let me waste it, but somehow use it to make me more useful to you and more helpful to other people. And all I can tell you is the past four and a half years have been the answer to that prayer. And I realized then, and this is what really ended up being the book, is that 
when there is a major life loss, and, and it's not just loved ones who die. Marriages die, our health. We get a bad report from the doctor. We're like, our life will never be the same. We get, we, we, our dream dies. Um, our, our hope for our kids is dying, whatever it is. Uh, even our past and the abuse, the neglect, the things we've never really reckoned with, continue, we re-grieve them. When there's a loss, there's grief, and when there's a grief, you're at a crossroads. And from that point on, it will not be the loss that determines whether you have more hurt or more hope. It will be your choices. And this book, in a very real way, is about the choices that loss and grief lead us to. Because if you've got a hammer in your hand, Carmen... Everything looks like a nail. (laughs) Is it going to build or destroy? Well, yeah. Yes, it could do either one. Depends on what you do with it. Not the hammer. Now, I got mm-hmm. hit by the hammer. We don't decide if we get hit by life's hammers. A lot of people have been hit by one this past year, one loss or another. But we decide what is done with that hammer and whether it builds our life or is a destructive force in our life. And those choices are the crossroads that, in a way, this book is so very much about, hoping your mm-hmm. heart is breaking. Talking with Ron Hutchcraft, the book is Hope When Your Heart is Breaking. If you're listening right now and you say, I I need that, I need that more than anything I've ever heard Carmen talk about, Um, we have books to give away. Harvest House has uh, sent us some to share with you. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies of Hope When Your Heart is Breaking by Ron Hutchcraft, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Ron Hutchcraft from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. Um, invite you to to check out everything um, that Ron is doing. And if you want to talk with him, you can uh, go to chataboutjesus.com. We're talking today about his book, Hope When Your Heart is Breaking, um, and I've got copies to give away. And so if, uh, if, if you're grieving a loss and you're tired of hurting and you're ready to find a pathway to hope and you're looking for a good conversation partner in the midst of that, um, let me just invite you to text the word book to 877-933-2484. We've got copies to give away. You can enter the drawing for those. Um, Ron, let's, uh, let's talk about what you describe as life's hope robbers. What are the things that that try to rob us of our hope in life? Well, uh, you know, again, here's where loss comes in. Whether it robs us of hope is really a result of our choices. But I alluded to some of them a couple minutes ago. When when our marriage was going to be our dream come true, turns out to be more of a nightmare, and it's starting to unravel, or it is over, uh, that loss... Can, we've got huge choices to make at that point. The choices we make will just determine whether it becomes a hope robber or not. Of course, when you get bad news from the doctor, uh, that's shattering. And the choices you make after that, again, here we go. Um, and then there's so many people who have a dream die, whether it's a business dream, whether it's to have children, whether it's to be married, whether it's a, a, a dream for the, the way our children will love the Lord, and they end up not doing that at this point, um, it, or we feel like we have just failed at something, uh, those those moments are moments of, of life-determining choice. And, of course, 
whether or not we've dealt with the pain of our past, which it seems more convenient to bury than to face, but in fact it continues to grow inside us and pursue us until it's faced. And you know, Carmen, all of these things have in common. And of course, the loss of, of the love of your life. That's that's by far the, the most devastating loss of all. But they all have in common that if you stuff it and and bury it instead of bringing it out into the open and sharing it, putting in words, putting it to words. Shakespeare said, "Give sorrow words." Boy, there's a lot of wisdom in that. But a lot of times we we don't want to. It hurts so bad we bury it. And I think the fact that that God somehow led me to face into it, not just hide behind what I would call the Christian talking points, which are good and nice and even true, but but they don't necessarily always help us face the reality of grief. And when Paul wrote, he said to the Thessalonians, who had lost a lot of loved ones, he said, we do not grieve. Well, if he stopped there, I close my Bible right there and go, that's not true. But he said, we do not grieve as others who have no hope. So the difference is this, that without Jesus, the scale is totally down on the side of grief. That's all there is. Just the loss, just the pain. With Jesus, there is on the other side of that scale, there is hope that balances. It does not erase the grief. But what it does is it envelops the grief, makes it bearable, and gives you the possibility that out of that grief and out of that loss can come some of the greatest gains of your life. So if you, but so it's important not to stuff it, to just go for some temporary pain reliever. That's not going to do it. To withdraw from people when you've never needed people more, to to turn from God instead of turning to Him. Uh, to letting your heart turn hard. I'll tell you what's happened to me. It's the Grinch thing. <laughs> it sounds strange to bring up the Grinch in the middle of all of this. But in the Grinch who stole Christmas, remember he steals all the Christmas presents, the people of Whoville are still celebrating, and it says his heart grew three mm. sizes. So all I can tell you is that by throwing my broken heart open to Jesus, a broken heart is an open heart. It's wide open. Your defenses are gone, and it is open in places you never even knew you had places before. And if you will invite this Jesus, who gets grief, who understands sorrow, went through more of it than anybody ever who walked this planet, this Savior will go into the deepest places in your soul if you'll cry out to him and bring this brokenness to him. And he will bring his comfort and his peace and his love and his perspective and his meaning into that brokenness. And that's the miracle that began the day I said I will not waste this grief and that I've tried to document for all of these hope robbers. And all of grief has a lot of things in common. Loss has a lot of feelings in common. And the choices seem to be, again, either destructive or constructive. Thank God he led me on, on through the valley of the shadow of death into the choices that led to a level of hope and healing and meaning and gain I never could have dreamed. And I want to help other people get there. I love your heart. um, And I love how sensitive you are. 
not only to the grief that comes through the loss of uh, of a loved of a beloved person like Karen, but how sensitive you are to the breadth of the varieties of grief uh, that we experience in life. And the testimony of this book to the hope that endures. So, uh, you know, I want you to spend a couple of minutes talking about the the reality that the anchor of hope of a hope in Christ actually does hold. It's an anchor that holds. I want to. <laughs> Thank you. Well, fact is that when Jesus was here, he crushed death. Here is a death-crushing Savior who walked out of his grave under his own power, who the Bible calls a living hope. This is not hope, the idea, or positive vibes, or, uh, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping it'll get better. This is a resurrected, death-conquering Savior. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says of him, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I would say that anyone who loved you enough to die for the sinning you did against him, which he did for me, a love that captured my heart, and and he's ready to enter your life today. And that what you've got now is his power and his love to meet the greatest of life's losses. And so while I lost the second greatest treasure of my life, on that May 16th, I have a, want, a love and a hope that is my greatest, that is unlosable. The Bible says that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One unlosable love, one unlosable hope. And so I was able to say as I threw the last handful of dirt into my wife's grave, See you soon, baby. See you soon. Mm. And I know that's a reality because it is guaranteed by a living hope, a living Savior. So like the old song says, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. So I fall down on my knees as I face life's raging seas. Anchor holds in spite of the storm. My friend... There's one anchor that holds. If you've never anchored your life to him, open your heart to him. He can be trusted, and he can do for you what no human could ever do. And he's been waiting to do it for a long time. He's just waiting for you to open that door in your heart. Hmm. Ron, um, thank you so much uh, for your ongoing ministry, for your contribution um, to the the conversation among Christians for generations, um, and thank you for this precious gift to the conversation today. The book is Hope When Your Heart Is Breaking. Uh, if you'd like to uh, enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can find Ron at hutchcraft.com. Um, and if you, if you want to reach out for a word of encouragement, um, if you want to know more about following Jesus and life's one unlosable love, uh, I want you to uh, I want to invite you to visit to chataboutjesus.com, chataboutjesus.com. Ron, as always, um, thank you and bless you in the work that you're doing. Thanks for caring about listeners with broken hearts today, Carmen. God bless you. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the book's website is hopewhenyourheartisbreaking.com. We'll be right back. Wow, doesn't that make your heart full? Um, such good, wonderful, helpful reminders. Uh, I want to be standing over the graves of those who I love, able to say, uh, see you soon, uh, see you soon, uh, and I want to be able to do so with confidence. And so uh, if you are not in a living relationship with God through the grace that he offers in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to uh, consider turning to him and accepting the good gift of his grace today, um, that we might not only uh, continue the conversation here on earth as brothers and sisters in Christ, but that we might live in the kingdom of God forever uh, in the household of God. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.